0: So um, I don't know if you guys are wired like I am, like if your memory is, I would suspect it is, but it's always interesting to me, like things that you remember from your childhood and things that you don't, right? So it's interesting, like if if you do, if you understand brain research, I've read a little bit about this, everything that we see, everything that we experience is in there somewhere, right? Like it's in there, it's like recorded for us, but we only have access to some of it. And so I think back and like there's, really fun, awesome experiences that I had as a kid that I remember vividly, like great detail about those things. And then there's other really cool, awesome experiences. So I have two older sisters and a younger brother, right? And so they shared a lot of these same experiences as me. There's things they remember that I'm like, I have no recollection of that at all. Like I don't, are you sure that happened, right? And then there's other like little obscure things that I have vivid recollection of, you know? Like I remember every last detail of it. One of the things as a kid that, um, that I did that I have very vivid memories of is how I prayed, my prayers as a child. So, so if we're gonna, we should probably take a step back. If we're gonna define, if we're gonna talk about prayer, we're gonna talk about prayer this morning. We should probably define what we're talking about with prayer when i think of prayer and what it is i think very simply and this is what I, this is how I would define prayer prayer is personal conversation with god right just very simply just personal me and god talking essentially right personal conversation with god so as a kid i remember back to my personal conversations with god that kid barely qualify as personal conversations, because what happened was there were these prayers that I learned, I memorized, and then said, like I said back to him. This is, what, this is what every day of my life, my prayer life looked like as a kid. You want to hear it? Here's what it is. Ready? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless your little lamb tonight. Through the darkness, be thou near me. Keep me safe till morning's light. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallelujah. And I just go through it again. And sometimes I go through it three times. And like, that's what, that's what my prayer life looked like. And, and I don't say that to like blame my parents who taught me those prayers or blame the church who taught me those prayers. But somehow in my childish brain, like that's what I thought prayer was supposed to be like. Like, I thought the important things with prayer were, one, that you did it, right? You could check it off the list. Yes, I said, did you say a prayers tonight? Yes, I said my prayers tonight. One, that you did it. Two, that you said the right words, you know? Like, I, I have these rehearsed prayers that I always thought. These are the words that God wants to hear from me. So you do it, you say the right words, and then the more the better, you know? Like, the more I say it, the more God's going to hear it, right? Those are the things that I thought were important with prayer as a kid. Not that I meant them. You know, like these words that I was saying, that was sort of irrelevant to me as a kid. Not that they were like personalized between me and God, but that I said them. That was like this twisted view of prayer that I had as a kid. Other times, I remember being instructed to pray some of those prayers as, this, this is how I understood it in, in my mind as a kid, to pray some of those prayers as like a form of punishment for the wrong things that I had done. Right, So I would go to you know, this, this person in authority at the church and I would, I would confess my sins, I'd sort of bleh, like vomit my sin. I wouldn't tell him the really bad ones, but you know most of my sins I'd lay out and I'd walk away and he would say, "He now, say five of these prayers and four of these prayers and three of these prayers and then your sins are gonna be forgiven. Then your sins are gonna be absolved. And so in my mind, it's like that's part of what prayer is too. It's like punishment for the wrong things that I've done. And so I don't say that again to like pick on the religious tradition that I was a part of growing up or pick on my parents for teaching me these things. I'm pretty sure my childhood brain twisted some of these things and like didn't have things right. But I tell you that because maybe this morning, we're gonna talk about prayer this, this morning. Maybe this morning as you come in here, you share some of those same understandings with prayer. Maybe you had some of those same beliefs with prayer or maybe you have some of those same beliefs maybe you've understood prayer as having to say the right words to God I gotta I gotta say the right things to him right that's really important I can't just be myself I have to say the right stuff to him or maybe you've understood prayer as being like more acceptable or more effective the more times you say those right things to him right or maybe you looked at prayer like I have and said yeah it's kind of a punishment for the wrong things that I've done. So like the kid in class that gets in trouble and they have to go to detention, in detention, the teacher makes them write, I will not talk in class, I will not talk in class, I will not talk in class, over and over again. Maybe you've seen prayer as a form of sort of punishment that we do to get forgiven for the wrong things that we've done. Listen, with deep humility this morning, I wanna say this, that's not what prayer is, right? That's not what prayer is. That's not the way that Jesus prayed. That's not the way that Jesus instructed us to pray, how he taught us to pray, right? And so that's what I wanna dig into this weekend. How does Jesus say that we're supposed to pray? So, so we've been doing this series uh, over all of the summer i think we even started very late spring all the summer on the life of jesus and we just finished up this section looking at some of the different teachings of jesus last week and specifically we looked at the parables before that we talked about different prophecies that jesus fulfilled so we're like in this series trying to understand take a step back and try to understand who jesus is looking at the things he said looking at the things he did so that we can understand who he is better so we looked at these prophecies and we're like man, what are the chances that somebody, one person could do all of these things that were predicted hundreds or thousands of years before he lived? What are the chances that somebody could just randomly fulfill that? Really slim, really slim, right? We looked at these miracles was the next section. All of these things that normal human beings can't do that Jesus did. So we take a step back. We're like, wow, who, who is this Jesus, right? He did things that only God could do. Last week, we talked about you know, the, the different teachings. This morning, we're gonna dig into the prayers of Jesus. And so I want to um, have you see this conversation this morning as like an extended conversation over the next three, four weeks. We're planning for three. Now that I'm into it, I think it's gonna take us four weeks. Three or four weeks as we kind of talk about prayer throughout that whole time. So I want you to see it as kind of a long conversation. So at the end, I'm not gonna like, tie a little bow around it and send you off. And now you know everything about prayer, go do it. I want you to see it as sort of a long conversation, okay? So I'm excited to dig into this. So grab a Bible, if you got one, open it up to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. If you don't have a Bible of your own, I think we're, we're gonna throw it up on the screen. I think it helps to see it on your lap as well. If you don't have a Bible of your own, Steve is ready with a Bible in hand. If you just raise your hand, he'll bring one to you. In the church Bibles, it's page 787, 787. So Matthew 6, where we're jumping in, is into this teaching session of Jesus. So um, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, you see what's called discourses. You see these five, six discourses that Jesus has, these teachings, these kind of longer teachings that Matthew documents. And this is the one that's the most famous of all of them. And so get the picture. Jesus is on the side of a mountain, It's called the Sermon on the Mount. That's the name of the sermon. He's on the side of a mountain. He's got this vast crowd of people in front of them in front of him, and he's teaching them, right about a whole bunch of different things. And so Matthew writes this down. It's Matthew five through seven, three chapters. It is filled with wisdom. It, even, even people that um, are, would not classify themselves as Christians look at this and they go, "Man, this is wild. this is powerful stuff." that Jesus said here. I really encourage you to check it out this week on your own. It'll take you 15 minutes to read. So, so good. So where we're jumping in, in chapter six, Matthew six, Jesus is teaching some of the specifics of the Christian life. So get the picture here. He's talking about what the life of a follower of God, a child of God, a follower of Jesus, somebody said yes to Jesus, looks like compared to the life of someone else. Someone who, as the Bible uses the phrase, is like part of the world right and what Jesus says in a nutshell you'd see if you if you read through this this week you'll see it what he says in a nutshell is the life of a Christian is different it's different you and I are called to be different right and let's be honest sometimes that's hard sometimes it's hard to be different than everybody else sometimes it's hard to choose to not go along with what everybody else is doing and yet that's what jesus says we're supposed to be we're supposed to be different and so he says things like don't be in the the sermon on the mount he says things like don't be like the hypocrites don't be like the pagans don't be like the godless be different be this way. And then he sort of teaches how his followers should live. And so in chapter six, it starts off about giving, he starts off talking about giving to the needy. And he says, essentially says, don't do it in front of others so that people look at you and they're like, man, that Clayton is so good. He's such a nice guy. So generous. Look at how much he's giving to other people. Don't do that, but instead do it in secret. Then your father will see right he'll see what you've done in secret and when your heart in doing it and he'll honor you for doing it right a little bit later he talks about fasting and he says the same sort of thing he says when you fast you know fasting is not eating right it's denying yourself food in order to more fully focus on God that's what fasting is and so he says when you're fasting don't like get up and leave your hair all messed up and like your clothes are all hanging out and you're like moping around like Oh, I'm fasting today, I am so godly, look at me. He's saying, don't do that, don't do that. But when you fast, get ready like normal, right? Don't let anybody know that you're fasting. Then your Father in heaven will see that and he'll honor you for that, right? And so then right in between those two sections, giving to the needy and talking about fasting, he talks about prayer. Followers of Jesus, Christians, are supposed to pray right like as jesus digs into this it's it's an assumption that he makes christians followers of his children of god are supposed to pray and i don't know what what like goes through your head when you think about that this morning as as i've had lots of conversations with people over the years about prayer people general there's exceptions but people generally fall into two categories with prayer one is you have these people that are like i am a prayer warrior i pray all the time three hours a day a mom look at my knees the scabs on them. like i am so into prayer and you go awesome that's awesome and then you have this vast group of other people the vast majority that all these are christians right the vast majority and when they talk about prayer they go i don't do it enough i know i should do it more I know this is like part of the life of a Christian I don't do it enough and, the, and the, the discussion on prayer always bubbles up guilt inside of them they feel very guilty about prayer and so I want to I want to challenge you as we dig into some of this stuff about prayer this week and the next few weeks my hope my, my prayer my prayer is that it wouldn't make us feel guilty but instead it would draw us to God and bubble up this desire to do it to experience him in a deeper way And so Jesus talks about prayer. You ever want to know what God desires for us in prayer? Here it is. This is from God the Son himself. And this is what it says. So this is Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray go into your room close the door and pray to your father who's unseen then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you and when you pray do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words he says do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him when i hear that this is what i think of like you ever you ever like hear somebody try to answer a question or they're talking about something and they're trying to be like so politically correct, they're trying to be so overly inoffensive that they never really answer the question. You know, like they never really say anything, like everything is absolutely vanilla and you're like, just stop, just like tell me, don't worry about offending me. Just tell me what you think about this or just answer the question about this. One of the things I love about Jesus is he's never that way. I love it, like he's so direct, he doesn't mince words he's often so blunt in what he says he speaks the truth even when it's hard you know even when it's unpopular and we see that here I love it he's so direct he's so blunt about this right he talks about prayer and so he starts off and he says he starts off talking about the hypocrites right I was reading a little bit about like the hypocrites or what that word means that Jesus is talking about do not be like the hypocrites he says. And so when I think of a hypocrite, I think of someone who you know, says and th- kind of thinks one thing, but then goes out and does, and like really feels and does something else, right? Like they say one thing, but they just kind of say it for me, you know? And then they go out and they really think something else, they really feel something else, and they go out and they do something different. I was, I was reading uh, one of my favorite theologians, he's passed away now, uh, a guy named John Stott, so wise, like he, he did this long teaching uh, lecture series on, on this sermon of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, I got a chance to listen to, it. it was so good, but in that he's talking about this word hypocrite, and this is so interesting to me, that word that we translate as hypocrite, it's the same word that they used back then for actor, right, same exact word that they use for actor now take a step back and think about that jesus says don't be like the hypocrites don't be like an actor what does an actor do well an actor's on stage right an actor is playing a part an actor is pretending to be somebody else Many times when you're an actor, you wear a costume, you wear a mask, you wear a disguise, you're acting out a fantasy, and you're on stage with an audience for what reason? Applause, right? Admiration, right? For them to notice how well you've done, all right? Think about that. Jesus is saying people do that all the time in religion as well. They do it all the time. They they put on a mask. play a part they pretend that there's something that they're not in order to receive applause and praise and admiration from other people You you ever experienced something like that in church it's like one of those things i rail against you'll hear us talk about this regularly up here just be yourself so many times people come into church and they act like I have to put on the face I have to put on the disguise and I can't ever be sad and I can't admit that I have problems and struggles and issues and baggage and things in my past that's how it's supposed to be it's like no that's not that's that's actually not how it's supposed to be in fact Jesus says no 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 don't do that don't be like them don't be like the hypocrite or the actor in regards to giving to the needy don't be like the hypocrite the actor in regards to prayer don't be like the hypocrite the actor in regards to fasting hypocrisy literally destroys those things right let's let's get back specific with prayer i want to be very clear with this hypocrisy destroys prayer yes please hear that hypocrisy destroys prayer praying as a performance for others or even as a performance for God destroys what prayer is actually meant to be hypocrisy destroys prayer prayer is not a performance for us right that goes against the heart of prayer we said at the beginning we said prayer is my personal conversation with God it's my honest real conversation with God Jesus says right at the beginning here Jesus says don't be like the hypocrite, don't be like the actor as you pray, don't be fake, don't perform for others or for God, just be real, hypocrisy destroys prayer, and then Jesus goes on, he talks about the pagans, right, so he talks about the hypocrites, then a little bit later, he talks about the pagans, and he says, and don't be like them either, you know, don't don't do what the pagans do, they just keep babbling and babbling and babbling, thinking that God is going to hear them the more words that they say. Don't be like them. I, I was reading, doing a little research this week on the pagans that uh, Jesus was talking about. Cause I, you know I don't have a whole lot of experience with pagans today. I was trying to understand a little bit of what he was talking about. It's interesting. It's sad, actually, how the pagans prayed. So they were uh, they were quite verbose in their prayers, right? They were well spoken. They were, they they said a lot of things in the prayers. And often this is how they prayed. Say, the reason that they said so much is that they would pray to lots of different deities, right? Lots of different gods with the lowercase g. They're hoping that one of them would hear them and respond and be like have the power to actually do what they're praying to do. So to put it in today's terms, it would be like us praying to God, to Allah, to Zeus, to the sun, to our ancestors to mother nature, right, and just hoping that one of them would hear us and be able to answer our prayer. That's like what the pagans did. Like, can you imagine how that must make God feel? <laughs> to, to, re- to push him down and relegate him at the same level as all of these gods that aren't really gods at all. And, and then, it's, it's interesting, they'd also remind God of favors that he owed them, right and so they go to god and be like remember oh god how i prayed to you and worship you for 20 minutes this week please answer my prayer remember oh god how you know i told somebody else about you please answer my prayer remember god how i cut myself and let my blood flow for you please answer my prayer remember god how i sacrificed my child in the fire which are all things that the pagans did you owe me answer my prayer Right? Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't do that. Don't act that way. But instead, what does he say? Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus puts a lot of emphasis in this section in particular on doing things in secret. Why do you think that is? Like, think about that. Like, why why is doing things in secret without other people knowing so important to God? Why is that such a big deal? He talks about it with giving, he talks about it with prayer, and he talks about it with fasting. Do it in secret. Why is it such a big deal? Well, here's why. What's done in secret reveals our hearts. What's done in secret reveals our hearts. Guys, take a second, and in your head... Think about what you do when no one else is around. Like think about what you do when no one else will ever know what you've done. What do you do during those times? What do you do in secret? Let, let me give you an example. Um, so let's go to the next picture. What is this? That's a leg, right? That's a lower leg. A shin. So when your intern Josiah, who, or resident who, who does announcements, you tell him to get on the back couch, put your leg up, pull your, pull your shorts up, and let me take a picture, that gets a little freaky, right? He's like, wait a minute, what? I'm like, no, don't worry. We're just gonna put it on screen for a point here. That's Josiah's leg. That is a normal looking lower leg, right? Tell me what's wrong with this next picture. That's my wife's leg about three weeks ago, you're not, you're not supposed to have two knees on the same leg, right? So we were, we were working out in our garage. God love her, I felt so bad. We were working out in our garage and we, she was doing something called box jumps, which you could probably figure out what box jumps are. You jump up on a box, right? And then you jump down. Well, she jumped up one time and she missed, her foot missed. And so she came down on the edge of the box and just, and then slid down like that. And instantly within, I'm not joking, within 20 seconds, that thing raised up about two inches. This is after ice was put on it, okay? And I'm like, oh, I feel so bad. Like she's hurting and there's nothing I could do. I thought she broke it, right? So time goes on these last few weeks and there are like a, a couple days where she started to feel a little bit better, but it's not getting a whole lot better. And then her ankle starts hurting. And so she's, she's been limping around. If you've seen her, some of you have asked. She's been limping around a little bit, you know, like this. Well, anyway, so this past week, um, she, we, were, we were both gone. She, she came back and somebody had given a, there was a gift card that was just it's like, I don't know if it was stuck to the door or whatever. And on it was, somebody wrote this, feel better soon, Marsha. Put up your feet and enjoy a taco, which is a great message to give. It's a little gift card to this great taco place, right, And that we love. It's really good. And so the first thing we do when we see this gift card, like any normal person, I guess, is you pick it up and you go, I wonder who this is from, right? You turn it over and you look around and you see who it's from. Well, this is unsigned, right? It's anonymous. It, it, it was given to us in secret. And at first, I'm like, we're disappointed because we're like, man, somebody was so thoughtful, we want to thank them for their thoughtfulness, for their kindness to us. You know, so at first we were a little bit disappointed with that, but then you realize how cool it is that they didn't sign it. Because when you don't sign it, when it's anonymous, when it's given in secret, it reveals that person's heart, right? They didn't care to be seen by us as... Really nice person, so thoughtful, so kind and generous. They didn't care about that. What they cared about was they wanted Marcia to know that she was loved, right? Like that's that's their heart. That was what was in their heart, and what they did in secret revealed that. See, what we do in secret reveals our hearts too. What does that look like in your life? I realize this could be a painful thought for some of us because what we do in secret we're not very proud of right what we do in secret reveals our heart when we're alone and no one else knows and that's especially true jesus is saying with prayer by the way jesus isn't saying here that there's something wrong with public prayers that's not what he's saying i I do it all the time john just prayed up here at the end i'm gonna spend some time praying i'll bet many of you pray publicly as well maybe with your family or spouse or friends or something before dinner maybe at nighttime is that we as a family pray together right that's that's public prayer jesus isn't saying that public prayers are bad he's trying to get us to understand what's most important to god about prayer what's most important to god about prayer is our heart right that it's genuinely from our heart it's not about other people It's not acting. It's not performing. It's my personal conversation, raw, honest conversation with God, right? I think of my heart connecting with the Father's heart. My my heartfelt prayers to a loving Father with honesty, with transparency, with genuineness. That's, That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here with the secret part. So, okay, so how do we do it? right? Like what, what should this look like for us? Well, Jesus tells us here. Jesus gives us a structure or an outline for prayer. I, I personally am not convinced that when Jesus gave us, what we're going to look at here in a second, when Jesus gave us um, this prayer outline, I'm, I'm not convinced that what he intended was for us to like nice and neatly package it and then recite it over and over and over again together as a group like we do our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name the kingdom come i'm not convinced that that's what jesus intended with prayer with this prayer that he gives us what he gives us is a template for us to follow an outline for us to follow with a lot of room for flexibility and a lot of room for freedom that's what he's giving us here so I want to read it together and I want you to keep that in mind here like take a step back sometimes when we've heard something over and over and over again we just we don't even hear it anymore right I want you to take a step back and I want you to hear Jesus's words that we're going to read here and I want you to take them to heart okay think about the words I'm going to read it slowly this is what it says this is we're just going to pick up right where we were Matthew 6 starting in verse 9. Jesus says this then is how you should pray but deliver us from the evil one. Guys, I have literally, I was doing a little dirty math this past week. I have literally said that prayer thousands of times in my life. Thousands of times. And I am embarrassed to admit to you that I never really thought about the words of that prayer until I was an adult in seminary. Seminary is like Bible training to be a pastor. Said it thousands of times in my life. And i never really thought about thought deeply about what those words meant until i was an adult and after i did after i did i have i have never been able to say it again I, the same way i've never i can still say it again. i've never been able to say it again the same way i can't fly through it anymore like i am that i'm ruined with that now right like i can't i can't do it like if we say it together if i'm at a church where we say it, we say it sometimes here if we say it together i have to say it really slowly and i have to think through it And my prayer for you guys is that what we talk about today and next week we're going to break up the lord's prayer between this week and next week what we talk about these next two weeks i pray that that's ruined for you as well i pray that i've ruined it for you that you can't just fly through it anymore That you can't just repeat it rote by memory without giving thought to the words that's my prayer so i i what i want to do is i just want to dissect what jesus is saying here he says this then is how you should pray and again we're only going to get a little ways into the lord's prayer then we're going to we're going to pick up uh next week where we left off this week and i want to say this too we are not going to be able to do this justice even in two weeks there is so much here it's cool i was talking to somebody after service uh right before this they're saying you know i'm the same way i i used to say this all the time when i was younger and now i just slow 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 down because there's so much depth here there's so much depth so we're only going to be able to scratch the surface i'm going to give you some little springboards to jump off into that hopefully this week i've already challenged you read matthew 5 through 7 challenge again, focus on these verses 9 through 13 in Matthew 6, and just allow the Lord to speak to your heart through them." OK? So anyway, as we jump into this, keep in mind, this is like outline for us, right? This is a general outline that Jesus gives us to pray, and we have lots of flexibility and lots of freedom just how to do it. So how does he start? He starts off with two words, right? "Our Father." our father and if you're like me it's really easy to keep going to in heaven right hallowed be your name the kingdom come it's really easy to just burst right past that and yet these two words set the tone for the rest of the prayer our father so typically as as christians pray Our prayers are to the Father. Our prayers are to God the Father. That's typically true for us as Christians. And that word that we translate as Father is an interesting word. It is such a loaded word. In in the Greek, it's pater. A little bit later in Mark 14, uh, another time that Jesus is praying to, to the Father, he uses the Aramaic word Abba which maybe some of you have heard that before, very similar words. Both Pater and Abba, of course, they're not words that we use today. Like, we don't use that for father, but we use a near equivalent to those two words. The near equivalent is daddy. It's daddy. It's a very, very intimate term, right? And I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear daddy. What I think of is a little kid, right? A child talking to their father. You know, there's, like, there's an intimacy with those words. They're very personal terms. And so just like you wouldn't call somebody else who's not your father, your father, even if they're a father, to somebody else, you wouldn't call them daddy, right? Like I wouldn't look at Mike and go, daddy. He's not my daddy, right? Like I have a daddy. He may be another, he may be a daddy. I'm, he's not my daddy. Just like I wouldn't call somebody else's father daddy. You, don't call, you only have one Abba. You only have one Pater, right? It's important for us to understand. And think about, like, think about how a child, maybe we'll start this way, a child with a good relationship with their daddy, think about how they talk to their daddy. Think about how they relate to their daddy. Is there formality there, like a stiffness there? No. Do they care about performing, acting for their, no. Are they just kind of real and honest? and raw just who they are because they know that their daddy accepts them yes right and and as we say our father as we say the prayer we're reminded god it's not everybody's father some of you this this may be new news to you god's not everybody's father bible is actually very clear about that you we have one of two fathers either god is our father if we've trusted Jesus, if we've said yes to Jesus, or the only other alternative in the Bible is that Satan is our father, right? God is not everybody's father, and so as we say this, we're reminded of our adoption, that God has adopted us into his family, and he is now our father, and so right off the bat, Jesus instructs us that when we pray, we recognize we're not just having a conversation with the God of the universe. We are. He is the God of the universe, but he's also our daddy who loves us, who absolutely adores us. Man, that, that sets the tone for the rest of Jesus's prayer. right? Like when we realize we're talking to our daddy who loves us, I can be myself with my daddy. I can be raw on who I am, right? It sets the tone for the rest of the prayer. And so Jesus goes on, he says, in heaven, our father in heaven, what does that tell us? Well, it tells me two things. If you're a note taker, write these two words down. It tells me two things, one, different, and two, powerful. And here's what I mean by that. First, he's different. He's different than any earthly father, right? Fathers on earth are different than a heavenly father. And so I know some of you have a similar experience with your father as I have. I got a great dad. I have a great dad. He's he's my hero. He's he's so kind. He's so loving. He's an amazing. Father. I have a great mom too, right? I also know. Maybe some of you can connect with that. I also know that some of us, when we think of the word father, we have anything but good and pleasant and loving feelings or a picture that it creates in our minds. Because our father was not a loving father to us. Our father was not a good father to us. And so instead of loving us, we felt very unloved by him. Instead of protecting us, we were scared of him. We were frightened of him. Instead of providing for our needs, he abandoned us. When I say father to you, you got some issues with that word, right? because it's not an endearing term to you, because the father that you've had in this life, your earthly father was not a good father to you. He didn't treat you the way a father should. But guys, listen, our God is our father in heaven. He's our heavenly father. And that makes him very different from earthly fathers in one very, very important way. He loves us perfectly. He loves us completely without his own sin and without his own baggage to cause him to hurt us, right? He will never hurt us. And some of us, I talked to somebody else last night, like that's exactly how I see God the Father. I see him as mean. I see him as stern. I see him as wanting to punish me because that's what my daddy was like. I didn't even realize it. Right? God is not that way. He will never hurt us. And when other people hurt us, He'll walk with us through all of that pain. We're going to sing a song at the end called Good, Good Father, because that's exactly what He is. He's a good, good Father who's different than any earthly Father. So when I think of our Father in heaven. First, I think of different. Second, I think of powerful. He's powerful, He's not bound by His humanity like earthly fathers are right he's beyond earthly he's otherworldly and so he's powerful to actually do the things that we come to him in prayer and we ask him to do right and so we come to him we go God I need healing or somebody that I know needs healing they've had they have this disease they have this sickness they've had this accident he can actually do it right he's the heavenly father we come to him and we go, God, I I need you to change my circumstances. I am terrified. I don't think I'm going to have enough money to pay my bills next week or put food on the table. He can do it. He can change our circumstances. God, I have these great needs and I'm struggling and I'm depressed and I need like rescued from it. He can do that. He has the power to do those things. He has the power. I love Ephesians 3.20. He has the power to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I I like another translation that says, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I love that. He's different than earthly fathers. And he's powerful. He goes on, Jesus goes on. He says, so our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'll be honest before you again. Embarrassingly, I said that word, hallowed, thousands of times before I had any idea what hallowed means you guys know what that word means hallowed of course it's not a word that we use today hallowed means to sanctify it means to make holy it means to consecrate or to make sacred that's what it means so in essence what Jesus is telling us here this then is how you should pray our father in heaven holy is your name back then they understood your name is associated with your person when they say things like holy is your name they're saying holy are you right God you are holy do you know what holy means holy means pure it means uncontaminated it means uncommon it means set apart right so the point in what Jesus is saying here is that as we pray we should consider who we're praying to he's holy he's not just our father he's not just our daddy but he's also holy and pure and unlike anything else and anyone else and we're not right so he's all of these things and we're not and so what's the only appropriate response for us when we are encountered with that kind of holiness what's the only appropriate response worship right (coughs) worship Hallow be your name is all about worship, bowing our hearts down to him, to this loving father, right? So Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our father, daddy, who loves me, who's my biggest fan, who's always got my best interest in mind, our father in heaven. different than any earthly father and you're powerful to actually do what I need you to do hallowed be your name you're holy you're pure you're so different than me my only response is worship I worship you that's where we're gonna stop for today and as we do before I send you out before we sing one last song together I want to say this I want to challenge you I've already challenge you, man. Spend time reading Sermon on the Mount. Spend time focusing on what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. I would be a fool if I didn't challenge you at the end of a sermon on prayer to go out and pray. Like this week, make it a priority. I was thinking this week, I love what God is doing here. Like I love you guys. I love that I get to be a part of all of this. I love our church. But I think, man, how, how different Would our campus be if all of us, everybody that's been here this weekend, would take 15 minutes every day and just be with our Father? And we just talk to Him and we listen to Him. Conversation into its two-way, right? It's not just me blabbing everything to God. It's also me listening to Him. Like, imagine how our lives would be different if we said, God, I'm gonna commit to you. Like, just do it for a week right now. I'm going to commit to you every day I'm going to have at least 15 minutes of just focused time with you just to talk to you just to hear from you just to to have you change me from the inside out I know this some of you do that already and you're like 15 minutes I I spend lots more than that with God every day for you that's that's normal I know this too others of you it's not it's not it's not your normal pattern And I promise you, if it's not, the first, I don't know, five minutes is gonna be tough because we all got all kinds of stuff going around in our head, right? And to quiet that, to silence those things is a challenge. But if you do, if you just take, like, we we could blow 15 minutes reading the paper. We could blow 15 minutes, you know, screwing around on the internet, looking at, at articles. We could blow it watching TV, no problem. Like, what if we just... What if we just made that commitment to the Lord this week every day not doing other things you know but just focused with him God would change us I promise you that God will change us if we do that so that's my challenge to you this week and I want to encourage you as Josiah said prayer night is uh is Tuesday night here in this room it's powerful no one's going to force you to pray it's not awkward if if you're uncomfortable praying in front of people it's just it's powerful to come before our lord as a family as a church family and talk to him so i want to encourage you that way too